Rob Black. Weekday mornings from 10 to noon on Talk 910 KNEW. You, your money, your life, your dreams. The answers are here. This is Rob Black. It's Rob Black Show. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial. Anything's fair game, whether it be to prepay your mortgage or not to prepay your mortgage. How to send your kids to college or how not to send your kids to college. We can talk about anything and everything when it comes to money issues. Tuesdays and Thursdays, certified financial planner Chad Burton joins me, kind of acts as my foil. He kind of acts as someone to, to balance opinions out, to be nice, to be kind, to be informative, to be clean. And I'm the opposite of each and every one of those things. So it's a good balancing act. With my mind on my money and my money on my mind. Now, CFP Chad Burton, first things we have to get to is the weekly jobless claims. They still look awful. First-time claims for state unemployment fell for the first time in three weeks, but from 580000 to 570000 not exactly a good number in my opinion. No. You remember when you used to have additional jobs for the good part of 2003 through 2006? Those were good times. I mean, we're looking at jobless recovery issues right now. We are looking at jobless, and we're not even looking at recovery, honestly. We're looking at stabilization for now, and stabilization maybe recovery with federal stimulus, not not people's stimulus, not, you know, private sector stimulus. Right. It could be a short-term move sideways. We've got GDP numbers out for Q2 that, uh, you know, came in with the economy not shrinking as much. But that gives you a little bit of sign of, you know, recovery is somewhere close, but it's not growth days yet. Americans receiving state jobless benefits fell to 119000 to $6.13 The continuing claims um, just look awful, Chad. And what is a continuing claim, and why do they look awful? Uh, people that basically still can't find a job, and and the amount of time that it takes them to continue to look for a job, they're, they're still trying to be on unemployment. I mean, it's just really as simple as that. You don't need to go much more into it. People out there know it's tough to find a job right now. There's a real a retail maven today. He's a consultant for brokerage firms. His name's Howard Davidvitz. Um, Howard Davidvitz, and um, he basically said on retail, and this is ties from the jobs. I mean, jobs, Chad, are paychecks, and paychecks are what we spend in our economy, whether it's on our mortgage or whether it's on the interest rates on our credit cards or whether it's on our credit cards or whether it's you know jobs equal paycheck to me and you. Mm-hmm. Um, retail maven Howard Davidvitz said today. Uh, On retail, quote, retail business is terrible. It's almost all negative. He said on retail, we're going to close hundreds of thousands of stores. He says on the consumer, we're still over leveraged. We're losing our jobs. Credit's been cut back. On America, he says we're in the tank forever. As a country, we're out of control. We're in a death spiral. Do you agree, disagree? Somewhere in between. You know, somewhere in between. I think we're just in a situation where the pendulum swings. And we are going through a situation right now where... I think we've got an administration that's trying to push through to get anything they can done to spend as much money as they possibly can before they're all wiped out in 2010 with, uh, you know, everybody in Congress being, you know, trying to keep their jobs, I guess you could say. Um, I think it'll swing the other way eventually, Rob. I mean, this is America. We're not going to let it die. We're not going to let it turn into communist Russia. Um, a lot of people are getting upset and, and the pendulum will swing again. It's just annoying to, to deal with these issues right now when you, you know, Congress trying to spend too much money when revenues could drop. Chad, in history, we've learned in relatively recent history, we've learned 
that coming out of recessions, banks have always made lending a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. If banks don't make things easier, won't it be tougher for your statement to be true that the pendulum always swings? Maybe we are, if the pendulum doesn't swing, maybe we are in a situation where the age of consumerism, the age of the golden age of consumerism is past, and maybe we get to, yeah, we're still going to spend our paychecks, but we're, we're not going to upgrade from a, um, a, from a Honda Accord to a BMW. We're not going to upgrade from a three-bedroom house to a five-bedroom house. We're not going to upgrade from a, f- a five-bedroom house to a Tahoe home. No. It, well, okay, let's go back to the bank topic for okay, a second go. here. Because, I mean, really, this is, the, this is you know, pinnacle of our economy here. We've, you know, people put a deposit into a bank. If the bank wants to make money off of it, they've got to lend it out, right? Mm-hmm. Or they've got to invest it in something else. So if we have a situation where the government tries to get too involved in regulating banks or taking them over, then we could have a slow growth economy. But eventually, the banks aren't going to sit there and hoard cash because if they do, they will eventually be bought by somebody else or go out of business. Um, Because the stockholders are not going to sit there and say, yeah, go ahead and move along at 1% to 2% growth rates. So eventually, the banks will get back into the lending. Right now, they're kind of hoarding cash trying to figure out which companies are strong, which companies have enough cash to make it through this rough time before they're going to lend them more money to continue to grow. So we're not going to come out of this as quickly as maybe the savings and loans crisis where we had actually more banks fail during the savings and loan crisis than now because the pendulum swung too far to we're giving money to everybody. Now it went back the other way where we're way too tight. And eventually it'll find a happy medium because you know why the stockholders are going to force the banks to make more money. Otherwise they're going to sell the stock and and, and that particular bank is going to go out of business. Okay, react to this statement for me, because I think we're staying on the statement for, or we're staying on this theme. Um, a lot of consumers, they're currently drowning in debt, credit card debt, mortgage debt. Uh, they're considering bankruptcy. Government's recklessly spending money it doesn't have in hopes of better days, i.e. our government's spending on debt. It's, it's, it's on credit. Mm-hmm. It's actually a little bit worse than that in my mind, because consumers who are in debt are usually very worried about it. They're looking for ways to reduce the debt. The government, on the other hand, is proposing ideas that will raise spending, increasing the deficit in 2009, 2010, uh, 2010, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, and all the way up to 2019. Thus far, not a problem. Treasury rates are still pretty low. It allows us to finance our debt cheap. I mean, mm-hmm. if we're going to borrow money, we might as well do it at, when it's cheap, and we're doing that. Debt holders True. might make noise, though, Chad, and mm-hmm. they may say at some point in time, we got too many dollars. we got too many investments in dollars. We want to pull some money out. And if that happens, we'd see a sharp rise in interest rates in order to bring a sufficient demand for our debt back, in which case we'd be financing our debt at much higher rates. I think our nation could finance our debt at these rates, but not at higher rates, if that makes any sense at all. It does, but I really don't think it's going to go that far. Remember, we've got, you know, we've got a change of administration, a change of Congress that's going to happen in the next four years, 2010, and then the elections for president. And I don't think that this country is going to stay on the current path. And I think that people are starting to realize that if we want to move anywhere in this country without going into a ton of debt, we've got to fix some of the issues here. The issues are small businesses, giving them credits to, to grow tax credits, to grow and hire and to innovate, because that's where our economy is, is run now. Innovation, small business, which creates products and services that, yeah, I mean, we're not manufacturing anymore. We're products, you know, we're innovation, we're service, we're healthcare, and that's got, that has to be stimulated. And then the borders have to be shut down. I mean, we cannot support illegal aliens coming into this country and yeah they help us keep our inflation costs down and our wages down 
but they are killing our healthcare system. They're killing um, the entitlement programs that are poorly run right now. That all has to be fixed before I think any of us as Americans will let you know our our government continue to spend more and more money. I don't think it'll last. It's almost like assuming that hey, this administration is is now a dictatorship and they're going to be there forever. Do you realistically think, though, Chad? You're a grown man. Do you realistically think that we're going to be able to close our borders? Um, I, I think that a ton of improvement can be made. Not close them. I don't think they should be closed because I think a lot of businesses would be hurt by it. But we need to know who's coming across, when they come here, and when they go back. And if they're going to work here, they better be paying into our system. If they're going to be, you know, uh, using the entitlement programs that are out there. I can't tell you how many times I, I have retired clients go into Social Security Administration office that um, are – a lot of times I tell people, go into the office once you're close to retirement to make sure that we know all of your options and the actual numbers versus the Social Security statements that you get in the mail. I've had four or five times in the last two years where people went in there and said that I was maybe – you know, one of four people out of 20 that could speak English as their primary language in a social security office. Cause there's people in there that were getting social security disability benefits that hadn't paid into the system. And it's frustrating. Okay. You know that a 1% increase in interest rates, and this is what I'm most concerned about is a 1% increase in interest rates on $10 trillion of debt is a hundred billion dollars a year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's where we, that's where we get screwed. Borrowing money now like a drunken sailor is not a problem. Borrowing it when it changes interest rates is a problem. Well, it's one of the reasons why they bought back the 30-year treasury for a while. So like you said, they could lock in debt at lower, longer-term rates because once people you know, have bought that debt and interest rates go up, they're going to have to hold on to that debt to maturity because um, nobody's going to want to buy it from them. It's the shorter-term treasuries, which are typically around you know 18 months for T-bills and things like that that are bought by foreigners that, that really have the big uptick in interest rates in a shorter term period. Now, you know, I'm an ambassador for Makers Mark Grum. Like yeah, when are you going to share the wealth on that? I'd like to become, somehow become a, a president of something because the Federal Reserve president, Jeffrey Lacker, made a statement about mortgage-backed securities that we'll talk about in the next break with certified financial planner Chad Burton. And let me give some props to Chad Burton. I'm throwing some tough questions at him. I'm throwing some tough arguments, and he's actually doing a pretty good job. Like I just said, if interest rates go up 1%, you know, uh, it's going to kick our, our interest payments up a couple hundred billion each time that happens. And he pulled out the 30-year Treasury note on me. That was a good pull. We'll take a break here. Be right back. Coming up at noon on Talk 910 KNEW. Now, Rob Black. Joining me is certified financial planner Chad Burton. Chad, we just heard a commercial for Trader Joe's that they're selling the world's largest olives. Do we need large olives or olives the size of watermelons? Or when's enough enough? As in America, when is enough enough? When the olive's big enough to give you a full meal and it has some protein in it, I think it's enough. Until then, I want bigger olives. You like big olives? Yes. 
Now, what would you stuff your olive with if not a pimento? What would you stuff it with? Oh, I had a yeah, you know, I had a loaf. A, a, uh, no, no, the, the blue cheese, you know, the nice martini. Okay. The blue cheese stuffed olives. See, so you want martinis. large olives from Whole Foods. <laughs> I do. Where I'm fine with just with it from uh, from Trader Joe's. Correct correction. Trader Joe's wonderful sponsor of the show. Um, I'm fine with an average size olive. I don't need bigger. No, go big or go home. That's my motto. You're such an American. <laughs> Give me a little Bruce Springsteen born in the USA. No, because you record it and use it every time you can. What's your favorite? I think Heidi has enough from me. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's fair to say. Um, I just got an email from someone who said, he said, I'd like to learn more about option trading. Can you point me in a, to a good resource book website? Thanks, Tim. What do you think uh, about option trading? If you want to do it and you want to do it well, it's a full-time job. I mean, it's, it's not some, it's not a way to build wealth unless you're a person that's selling software to get other people to think that they can build wealth selling options. Um, then you can make a lot of money selling software. Or and, seminars. And seminars, right. Yeah. Well, they do the seminars for a smaller free fee, and then they, they get you to buy the $2,500 software that you might use 10 times until you lose a couple bucks, and then you're You know, done. one of those um, options packages was $40,000. $40,000. $40,000. And when you're at that option seminar, they, they have big, I'm going to say this, and it's offensive of me saying this, big black dudes in the back of the room who scared the little white dudes who show up to try to learn how to get wealthy buying options. And there's, there, there's a pressure <laughs> to give your credit card that's on that space. Wow. So got an email from someone who was forced. He felt forced into buying a $35,000, $40,000 package. What a cop out. He just doesn't want to admit he's a moron. I don't know. So, yeah, that, that's a total cop out. Do you think in your life, Chad? do anything. Give me a break. And if you're forced to do it, you walk out of the door. Well, Chad. And you call your credit card company, say, cancel the credit card. Well, you know how these option seminars work. Don't you want to be wealthy? Why don't you want to be wealthy? If you don't want to be wealthy, why are you here? Yeah. Like, they, they, they play with your mind. They mind F you. <laughs> it's like the old uh, cults that used to feed you nothing but carbohydrates for days and days. You remember, the, like, the Moonies? People used to tell me stories about those cults. They, they'd get you in a room, feed you nothing but carbohydrates, which makes your mind weak if you have no protein, and then they brainwash you, and then all of a sudden you're in a cult. Same thing with the option tra- trading software. You know, I once was almost in a cult. They were offering me larger olives than normal size. <laughs> Nonstop super olives. Gigantic olives. Gargantuan olives. I am in. <laughs> the cult of the olive. <laughs> 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 oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, what were we talking Oh, options. Okay, so you're a Johnny Appleseed. You've been in every state of the country. You walk state to state. You talk to people about financial issues. Have you... How many individuals do you know who've quit their jobs done option trading and made a million dollars out of ten thousand i know nobody okay so that's a pretty good pretty good piece of uh insight yeah 16 years and 10 of that doing a lot of media with you nobody nobody okay now fed lacker um that's kind of the fed president jeffrey lacker He's the Richmond Federal Reserve Bank. He said today he gave a speech and he said, you know, our economy has so much rocket fuel now that he's considering thinking about stopping the purchase of mortgage-backed securities. Buying mortgage-backed securities by our treasury has helped cut the cost of mortgages. Mm-hmm. I'm a direct beneficiary of that. If they do that, then interest rates will pro- – a mortgage will probably go from 5% where it's at today to 6%. Just a basic concept of math. Um, what do you think about taking some of the stimulus off? Um, well, it seems like if I think of it in terms of TARP, I mean, a lot of that TARP money has been paid back by banks sooner than expected because the banks just did not want to be in partnership with the government, right? 
I mean, it, that's, yeah, that's think, part of the stimulus that we're talking about, or is it, you know, the kind of the shovel and dirt stimulus? I mean, where are we? Well, our treasury has a balance sheet, mm-hmm. and part of that balance sheet is buying mortgage-backed securities, which is one of the reasons Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac stocks have been doing so well, because we're kind of supporting, further supporting uh, the purchase of mortgage-backed securities, which mm-hmm. allows the companies that are making mortgages or selling mortgages to sell more product in the system. Yeah, Um you know, I, I I don't know. It's 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 hard to say whether or not I want the Feds to inc- well. I mean, what you're talking about is they're they're increasing their debt at the same time they're increasing the Feds are increasing the size of their balance sheet. Correct. Which means we're increasing the size technically of government, which I'm not for. Okay. Um, I think that if interest rates went up to six percent on a, on a mortgage, I still think that's beautiful. I mean, my first mortgage was like at eight point seven five or something like that. Yeah. So still a variable, very affordable interest rate on mortgages in the long run. Okay, I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, let's talk about some of your content that you threw out at me. Um, long-term care. We talked about long-term care insurance um, on your last appearance. Long-term care is, give me a quick definition. Uh, long-term care is basically, well, here's what happens. People retire at 65, they get on Medicare, and they think that, you know, hey, if I go into a nursing home with Alzheimer's, that's paid for, but it's not. Um, if you're, if you go into a, within three days of a hospital stay and you go into a skilled nursing facility, you might get, you know, 30 days of care paid for, but after that you're on your own and you're talking about cost $6,700,000 a year for nursing home care. So what happens is most people end up going broke and going on Medi-Cal and to get on Medi-Cal, you have to spend down your assets to about $2,000. So, um, not fun and not fun at all for a married couple, especially, so what you do is we'll stop starting about the age of 55, start shopping for long-term care insurance, which will cover you if you go in. But not only, it, it'll also help you stay out of a nursing home, Rob, because it'll pay for somebody to come to your house and take care of you versus go into a smelly, stinky nursing home, right? So, um, and most of you can, you can design a plan so it's affordable where it can cover you for say three years, four years, five years, six years, or lifetime. So, you know, if you're pretty healthy, you don't have a lot of family history, of going into a nursing home, maybe you buy a three or five year long-term care insurance policy. But if you've got, you know, parents on both sides that had Alzheimer's or dementia and, you know, spent five, 10 years in a nursing home, you might go for a lifetime policy. Uh, But it's something that uh, you definitely want to plan for. Start looking when you're age 55. If you've maxed out your 401k and you're, you're on track for retirement and you still have extra money, go ahead and buy it at 55. If not, and you're still behind on retirement, wait till you're 60, 65 to buy. Okay. So I'm with you, I think. Do you agree with me when I have a statement out there that insurance is meant for the worst case scenario? Mm-hmm. And one of the problems that I have with healthcare reform is that we want to give insurance to everyone. Yeah. And then everyone would be at the doctors and everyone would be at the emergency room and all that would be cut. And then the insurance system, the insurance cost would go up because insurance goes up when you use it. I think that's one of the problems our government's facing with this healthcare reform is that I think they should give insurance to truly sick people. To people having heart disease, to people who are, you know, cancer and issues along those lines. But I think it should be up to the individual to cover their own, you know, healthcare costs up until the truly expensive open heart surgery type of things. And do, do you agree with me that insurance should be for worst case scenarios and you shouldn't ever use it unless it's truly an emergency or truly an expensive task that you can't undertake on your own? Yeah, I think... Um let me give you an example of, of something that was in the right step. And first of all, let me say that I think as an advanced society that everybody should have the ability to, to have some health care. I mean, if you're a person, lost your job, you have pre-existing conditions, and you need 
the healthcare, you know, you should be able to get some healthcare if you're not able to buy it on your own. But I think to have the government run it is absolutely ridiculous. I just have to look at Social Security, Medicare, and other entitlement programs that tell me that big government cannot do it the right way. So what I'd rather see is um, tax credit for businesses to provide health insurance, and that way you'd get the private sector in there doing everything they can to be competitive on pricing and to design plans that help people, you know, basically care for themselves. You know, I mean, if you're a person that goes to the doctor every time you get a cold, that's crazy. Um, but if you're a person who has a higher deductible plan and you go when you need it and you go for preventative care, then, then that's fine. That's responsible. But and an example of where we're going kind of on the right track with this is healthcare, uh, health savings accounts, where you buy a plan, it's got a higher deductible, say it's $2,500. So you put $2,500 into a health savings account, you get a $2,500 tax deduction for doing it. And you can take that money back out to tax free to pay for healthcare costs. And once you're 65, you can use it for anything you want, um, including to pay for your long-term care insurance. So that's the, the steps that we need to take. I mean, we're a country that, that wanted to get away from, um, you know, the larger, bigger brother, right? Because they were trying to be in every part of our lives. And now we're kind of going back to that direction. And I want to be responsible. I want to have choice on what healthcare that I want to buy. I want to have choice of what company that I go with. And I don't want to wait 60 to 90 days to go see a doctor. Did you know, Chad, that healthcare became a worker kind of right during World War II and our government stopped companies from wage inflation ultimately because so many men were overseas that the only way to get competent workers were to you know start inflation, wage inflation. So they froze wage inflation and thus companies started coming up with healthcare packages to give their employees as a way of wooing them to their company versus someone else's company. Um, and before that, Chad, we didn't have insurance. What we did as a nation is there was a local doctor that you would find and you would go to him and you'd pay cash for your services. And that competition kept doctors in check from getting their, their fees too out of whack for normal health care, not open heart surgery, not brain surgery, not things like those lines. It, it's, it's odd that our government created a problem by freezing wages during war. I mean, that's ultimately where the, the problem started getting out of hand. Well, it worked back then because you had, um, you know, first of all, everybody was coming together for a common cause, right? I mean, it's kind of different now. And a lot of companies back then were kind of doing self-insured insurance pools, kind of like pension plans were. And and we all know that right now, because of the, the demographics of the U.S., it's just not working with very few workers supporting the many that are retired or that are over 65. So, you know, things have to change. Um, but to have more government involvement. I mean, it's just like this, Rob. If it's, you, go, you go look at see the government bail out institutions and individuals that got over leveraged. And now they're running their business where they spend more and more every year, and they're projected to spend more and more every year where their revenues are not projected to go up. Not only that, that are running all their projections at their company, which is the United States you know, tax revenue, you know, going up at 3 to 4% growth a year. That's what they're running their projections at, at the high end. A smart business owner runs their projections and does their planning based on the lower end of the projections, maybe a 1% growth rate, which is really what the U.S. is going to have. If I continue to spend more and more money every year and my revenue didn't exceed that, and I was always running my projections at high you know, growth rates instead of the, the lower than expected growth rates, I would be out of business. And that's what our government's doing right now. I don't understand why they just can't get that. Okay, coming up, we're going to talk natural gas. We're going to talk bank insurance. 
We're going to talk restaurants. We're going to talk 30-year versus 15. We're going to talk retirees. But we would like to hear from you, the phone caller out there, 800-345-5639. Get your calls in the air. It's 800-345-5639. It's the Rob Black Show. Talk 910-KNEW. It's talk910kneW.com. You can find us at 910-KNEW.com. I get confused sometimes. I'm easily confused. 800-345-5639. Get your calls on the Rob Black Show. Rob Black on Talk 910 KNEW. Nitrous oxide, known as laughing gas, or what it does to we the human. It's now the biggest man-made destroy of Earth's ozone layer after the use of chlorofluorocarbons and other ozone-depleting gases. Um, They've been limited. Now nitrous oxide is killing the planet, and maybe that is the joke, Chad. Could be. Could be. Good good answer when you have nothing else to say. Uh, And I was reading something else. I had no idea what you said. (laughs) Nitrous oxide, laughing gas, is starting to kill our ozone. Really? Yeah, yeah. I think cows still do too more damage than all that, right? So should we kill all the cows? Well, I think we do on a regular basis and eat them, right? We do eat them. And they're, all right. And they're tasty. I'll just keep doing that. I've got to have my steak. Okay. You know the Obama dog, which is a Portuguese water dog? <laughs> Why does that sound so funny to me, the Obama dog? I don't know. <laughs> it's just three genes between it and a wolf. Ooh, scary. So, I don't know. Something about a wolf and the... White House kind of, I don't know. <laughs> there you go. Let's get a phone call. Let's get a sign. <laughs> Rafael, Kathy. Hello. Hi, Kathy. Hey, Rob. Um, I have a house that I own free and clear that we built in Kauai. And I'm wondering if I'm stupid by not having a mortgage on that. So it's a second home. It's a vacation home. Actually, we rent in Mill Valley because we can't afford to buy in Marin County. It's a place that we go to anywhere from two to six months a year. Wow. And we probably, I don't know if we're going to retire there full-time or not, but... That's good living. Um, yeah. Chad, do you want to comment on this? Because in the first hour, I kind of I threw out the, the 30-year mortgage thing is a good thing, not a bad thing. But retirement homes and second homes are not primary homes. So I'm going to excuse myself from this conversation and let Chad take over. Okay. Well, first of all, what's the rest of your financial plan look like? I mean, do you have enough assets in stocks, bonds, and cash to be able to retire? Um, probably not quite yet, but we're, we're close. We're, so you're, you're saving enough right now to so that yeah, by the time saving. you hit that we've date. Got, and we own some other property in Florida. I mean, we've got some other investments and everything. So, you know, we're looking pretty good. I still have to work. But are you real estate heavy then? You've, you own Kauai? You own Florida? Yeah, we are, we are real estate heavy, actually. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so part of your financial plan might be, you know, a real key projection to where you may have to, at some point in the next 10, 15 years, ditch some of those properties to create enough cash to retire, right? 
Yeah, we're we're looking at that. Um, we've got some uh, some lots in Hawaii that we've got on the market that they're not selling, but that'll add to the you know to the whole portfolio. I was just wondering is that we've got, you know, it's probably worth about seven hundred thousand dollars, but it's not making any money. Mm-hmm. But do okay. they borrow money on it to do something else with that money? Or not, we, not unless it's not unless it's restructuring your current debt. Um, Robin, Rob will agree with me. I mean, we don't tell people to take money out of their real estate, borrow money from their real estate, and go invest it in stocks and bonds. That's crazy. Right. That's trading yeah. apples for oranges, all right? That's what I thought, yeah. Now, to have a home paid off, and you're if you're in a situation, your 30s, 40s, even 50s, and you're trying to build wealth, and you have a home that's paid off and all that equity that's dead, because the equity is dead. The, the house goes up with inflate. The house goes up and down in price, no matter what you owe on it. So if you're still trying to build wealth, you use some of that equity to go out and buy other properties, or you can put you know 30% down, get a 30-year mortgage for the rest, and have positive cash flow, and that's building wealth. But in your case, you're already real estate heavy, so you're having to yeah. go kind of the other direction. I know, um, you know, oh yeah. So I would, I, I would I potentially sell some of the properties to get the other side of your, you know, asset classes up, like your stocks, your bonds, uh-huh. um, things like that? Probably, yeah. Um, right. You really you need to do it. You'd leave that house alone, then just let it and not borrow one. I mean, we figured if we ever got desperate when we were older, we could always take a negative, you know, take one of those reverse reverse mortgages. mortgages. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in your case, I would not go buy more real estate. You have enough. Yeah. Make sure that what you have is the right kind, which is positive cash flow real estate. Uh, good. Okay. Well, thank you very much. You yeah. bet. I would refer to that chat as a good problem to have. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, she's got a lot of wealth. It's all in one asset class, but she's got a lot of wealth. Right. And you know, every asset class got hammered in the last three quarters, right? Or the last two quarters, not this one, but uh, Q4 and Q1 of, of 2008, 2009. So um, the problem is, is that those asset classes are very illiquid. You can't push a button like a stock, a bond, mutual fund ETF and sell it. You're, you're stuck with it. And when people are in a situation where they're real estate heavy, but they want to retire, they have enough assets to retire, but they have to sell that real estate, you need to do a, a long-term cash flow projection so you can model when you have to sell that real estate because real estate goes through seven to 10-year cycles. So you want to know seven to 10 years before you sell that, before you have to sell that property so that during that period of time, you can time the sale when you're towards the top of the real estate market instead of you know, on the bottom end of that real estate cycle. What do you think about the owner of Papa John's paying $250,000 to get his 1971 Chevy Camaro Z28 back? To get it back? Yeah. he Basically, at one point in time, back in the 80s, he had to sell his beloved car for $2,800. He helped his father's business. Then he started Papa John's, which ultimately made him you know, wildly successful. But yeah. he wanted his dream car back, and he paid $250,000 for it. When it was yeah. only worth maybe... Twenty thousand. <laughs> it's got a lot of backseat memories and a lot of business start, starting memories out of that car, I guess. Then, huh? I suppose. Yeah. When you're that wealthy, do what you want. Okay, let's talk natural gas. What's mm-hmm. your What's your take on natural gas today? Natural gas dipped to. We saw supplies build yet again, and natural gas uh, dipped to two dollars and basically six percent. Two eighty one. Two dollars and eighty one per million British thermal units. In my wildest fantasies, I never, ever, never saw it going below $3. No, I think if you look at a lot of people that, you know, trade in energy, typically natural gas, um, you know, oil always trades a certain multiple of natural gas, and it's pretty correlated, and it's way out of whack right now. Um, and part of that, I think you mentioned a couple of shows ago, you know, really lack of a hurricane season this year um, is part of it. Um, but with that said, it's it's a really hard 
play to go out and do just the natural, pure natural gas play. It's not something that I would necessarily do because I'm not a trader. I'm a longer term investor. But I tell you what, and if I if you were to narrow it down to some of the three sectors that I like over the next five years, I'd say energy, biotech, and technology, right? So I think going into a company that's more of a diversified energy play that deals in oil, natural gas, and even coal, and even the distribution of those those types of products, I think that's a great play over a five-year period. I think you're going to make a ton of money if you uh, you know do your homework and find a good uh, stock that does that. Okay. It, not only that, Rob. I mean, if we're all thinking that, hey, the dollar is going to start falling again under other uh, against other currencies because of the debt the U.S. is taking on, um, oil is tends to be priced, and natural gas tends to be priced in dollars. So as the dollar falls, the price naturally has to go up. So it's kind of an inflation slash falling dollar hedge as well. Now let's talk about China because you said biotech, tech, and energy. I'm going to go energy, um, tech sometimes in up cycles and Asia. Mm-hmm. So Apple today is getting closer to start selling iPhones in China. Why do you think that's important, Chad? Um, well, I think that, well, first of all, you've got, you know, what, how many cell phone users there? You got a population over a billion. You've got 687 million subscribers. Right. But also I think that the applications that can come out of that area for the iTunes store and the ability for Apple to make money on that, it just, it, it's going to, just be huge. It's going to be exponential for the revenue that comes through the the uh, you know application side of Apple. And in the United States, do you know how many uh, wireless subscribers we have? Uh, no, not off the top of my head like you do. 270 million subscribers. So it's basically almost three times as many in China. Wow. So part of the, the big Chinese thing is that uh, they're, they're demanding certain concessions from Apple, mm-hmm. like um, the royalties that they get from subscribers. So uh, they don't care <laughs> if they can sell volume, 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 and then get the iStore uh, ramped up with applications. You're right. So, oh yeah, it's not like they're making a ton of money on the phone, and they never have been. Okay, so, so it's it's the applications and all the other stuff that comes along with it, the Apple branding, so that people want the other products and everything else. It's, what is it that Warren Buffett says about the razor? It's not you know the the Mach three loses money, but they make money in the the razors that they sell you that subsequently. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Chad's right. It's it's not about the iPhone. It's about the applications. Yeah, and it's. I mean, th- that is huge. I think in the long term, that takes Apple from being kind of a U.S. consumer-based company to a, a global company right there. Here's a big announcement. The Canned Beer Festival is going to take place in October in Reno. <laughs> <laughs> Who wants to go to a canned beer festival? They could just call it the Mullet Festival, too, because you know there's going to be a ton of mullets there. I'm growing a mullet. Sweet. I'm growing a mullet for television. to get your calls in the air it's 800-345-5639 chocolate festival for September in San Francisco I could do that one we'll take a break here I'll be right back One eight hundred three four five K N E W. This is Rob Black. It's a call-in show. It's the Rob Black Show. Talk nine ten K N E W. You can listen online at nine ten K N E W dot com. 
It's the Rob Black Show. I'm Rob Black. Um, basically, we gear it towards financial issues. Tuesdays and Thursdays, financial planner Chad Burton sits in. I think he does a really, really good job of balancing me out, but as well as giving you good, solid opinions. Um, if he didn't give you good, solid opinions, he wouldn't be here. I assure you that. So we talk natural gas. Let's talk a little bit, Mr. Burton, about the restaurant industry that's been walled by a recession. What's your take on what we're seeing in the restaurant area? And would you invest in the restaurant area? Because typically you invest when it's a disaster, not when it's glorious. Right. Well, the first part of the recession, restaurants were doing, I think, better than people thought they would. Um, You know, it's I think a lot of times it's when first people get into that. uh, Oh, I've lost my job, but I'll be okay. They kind of do that a little bit of shopping therapy, a little bit of restaurant therapy. Maybe that's what it is. I don't know. But the reason why I brought this up is really some uh, open it up for advice from listeners, whether it's the blog or call in to say what they do to save money. I know there's a lot of deals out there that people can get, um, you know, where people are finding half off or buy one, get one free deals at good restaurants right now. That's my weakness, Rob. My, you know, a lot of a lot of people, their antichrist for retirement planning is their Starbucks ticket every day that they go spend, you know, six to nine bucks on lattes every day and the two trips to Starbucks. My family's problem, well, there's probably two. One is boating, of course, but I would never give that up. But the other one is uh, eating out. We eat out way too much when I look at my, when I go back and I track my expenses, it kind of kills me. Is it because your wife can't cook? No, she's a great cook when we cook. It's just like, you, sometimes you get to that point where you've got kids that are, you know, we've got ballet, two different soccer practices, things like that. And you end up and boy, there's just no time to do the grocery shopping today. And you're kind of, you know, it's already 730. By the time you get home and cook and get the kids to bed, it's going to be 930. So you just run into a restaurant, right? So there's a couple of places that we found that have, you know, kids eat free on Tuesdays. So we got a Tuesday place and a Sunday place where kids eat free. But, uh, you know, what other people are doing to save money? Oh, we never buy pop for the kids, too. If you go to a restaurant and they have like a drink with the meal, we'll do that. But if it costs more money for, say, a, a pop or a milk or something else. Kids are drinking water. What I would do instead of sending your kids to ballet school, I'd just have them watch the Billy Elliot film. <laughs> over and over? Over and over. <laughs> kid could dance. Or so you think you can dance. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Put the kid in front of the TV. It's a great babysitter. All right, there you go. <laughs> Cheaper than ballet lessons, right? Hey, probably. Probably. I know that Comcast bill is getting a little spendy, too. Yeah, yeah. We. Did. Well, I'm not, not going to say nothing negative about Comcast because they're an advertiser. Yep. Can't ditch them. The cable companies, though, are having a tough time with the people that are watching television for free online. Yeah, Hulu.com and lots of other places. I mean, as our TVs have the great connections for a nice laptop with, you know, HD, and you can go to, you know, Hulu.com and pretty much pull up any show you want. Not the shows that I like to watch. I have to go to Juggyvision.com to see mine. (laughs) Uh, Does that cost money, Rob? No, it's free. And how do you spell that? <laughs> Juggy with it, two G's. Oh. Um, so, <laughs> so the restaurant industry, Chad. Yeah. Uh, the trends remain very weak, but you know what's nice about the investment angle of the California Pizza Kitchens or the CKE restaurants or the Benihana's or the Denny's is that the, the numbers have looked so bad for now a year and a half. So we're starting to get to the point where it's easy to jump over those bad numbers. And that's, you know, that's what moves stocks is when you beat expectations. Right. And one of the reasons why the numbers look so bad was cost of commodities were just skyrocketing. Natural gas used to kill um, restaurants because they they cook with it. Now it's not so bad. Yeah, the food costs going up, the shipping costs, you know, surcharges on the on the bills going up. And it's you know, that that's all come down. But when you're in a restaurant business, you got to deal with an economic cycle and kind of take 
you know, look at, look at commodities as well. Um, and they tend to be shorter term trades, you know, a restaurant will be real popular for, you know, two to three years and then, you know, watch out below. Now you sent me something on a wall street journal story talking about volatility of switching and adjusting portfolios. We've mm-hmm. got about two minutes. Can you cover this? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, basically, um, Schwab, uh, put out a, a research report that, um, only 31% of mutual fund owners in, you know, that's basically people that have 401ks and everything else. Only 31% of the people out there talked with a you know broker, financial advisor, or rebalanced their account. 31%. So two thirds of the people out there, since the market started to decline, didn't pay any attention whatsoever to the portfolios. And 36% of the people out there don't even know what mutual funds they own in their accounts. Those are the people that, you know, they get their 401k statement or their choices. There's 10 different fund choices and they just go 10, 10, 10, 10, 10% all the way down the line. And um, so, you know, people need to take some time during this type of a, you know, economic situation to remind them they got to pay attention to their portfolios. Um, just an example, in, in 2000, 2001 and 2002, when the market was just getting creamed, guess what was doing well? Small cap value was doing well. Real estate was doing well. So there was pieces of the portfolio that were doing really well, not to mention bonds. So having a diversified portfolio means you'll you know just barely keep up with the market in the good years, sometimes lag it a little bit, but outperform drastically in the bad years. And that's really what you want to do when you're putting together a portfolio. So take this time now, go through, take the tests online on your 401k company, get your asset allocation pie chart set, and you can go in and turn on what's called an automatic rebalancer so that your portfolio gets rebalanced into your target asset allocation every six to 12 months. And um, each person should have their 401k rebalanced at least once a year so that, you know, you that automatically, if a fund runs up and you have a nice profit, it'll automatically peel that profit and put it into something else that hasn't done well. And that's, you know, that's how you win in investing. Keep keep the profit. So I'm looking at um, a crossword puzzle and 38 across is Star Trek Empath. Star Trek Empath, four letters. Do you know what it is? Star Trek empath. Oh, 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 were we talking financial issues? <laughs> no. Oh, you're damn entertaining. It's the certified financial planner, <laughs> Chad Burton. You can find him. And it's Troy, by the way. Um, you can find Chad Burton at chadburton.com, chadburton.com. Do you have a phone number that you give out? Because I never give out your phone number. Uh, 888-762-2423. Okay. Um, and people can listen to the podcast at 910kdw.com if they miss that. Thanks for joining me, Chad. You bet. Chad Burton, he's a financial planner. I'm Rob Black. I'm a financial talk show dude. I'll be back in 22 hours promising you yet another show on financial issues that range across the board. It's Rob Black Show. Talk 910 KNEW. Hey-o. Well, you just laughed it off. It was all okay. Rob Black, weekday mornings from 10 to noon on Talk 910 KNEW.